good morning, City Light. Um, I want to start this morning with a thank you. Um, I want to thank the families that just participated in this uh, baby dedication this morning, and thanks to all of the family and friends who are here to support them. Um, This is a big deal, what just happened, right? Dedicating your child to God doesn't, uh, it's not magical, it doesn't guarantee teenage years free of rebellion, right? None of that. But what it does do is it makes God a part of your child's story from the very beginning, Okay, there's something meaningful about that. Not everybody gets that. And so I want to thank you for making that commitment today. A commitment to say, you know what? We believe that Jesus is a Savior. And we're going to raise our kids to know and love and follow that Savior all their lives. Thank you for making that commitment. It is now a part of your child's story and your family's story. And I think every family has a story, right? Or at least we have stories that we like to tell. What are your stories? What's shaped and formed your family and who you are? One of them in my family um, involves my brother, Drew, when he was probably three years old. My family was out somewhere. I don't remember where we were. And this girl says to Drew, oh, you're so cute, And my three-year-old brother, Drew, frustrated and a little embarrassed, looks up at my mom and said, I knew that bath last night was a big mistake. (laughs) Right? At three years old, he was already witty and clever and funny, and he still is today. And we cherish those kinds of memories as a family because they've shaped us and they've formed us. We love to laugh. We love to tell jokes. We love to tell stories, right? What stories shape your family. Well, the passage that Doug just read said that one day the kids of the Israelites would ask their parents, why do we do these things? Why do we remember the Passover? And God told them, it's a story that's going to shape you. Let me tell you how to answer that question, okay? And so we're gonna, that's where we're going to go today. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at Exodus, and God says, this is a story that's going to shape the family of Israel, this family that grew into a nation forever, okay? In the first few chapters of the book, they uh, described all the circumstances that led up to the Exodus, the last few chapters of the book deal with the aftermath, and there's just a few chapters in between uh, that describe what actually happened, the event. And that's where we're going to be today, Exodus 11 through 13. And so here is our plan. We're going to talk about the plague on Egypt, the Passover for Israel, and the provision for us, Okay. Simple three-point plan, three Ps. I made the alliteration work this week uh, for all you Baptists out there. All right. Uh, So this week marks a turning point, okay? We're no longer leading up to the Exodus. We're not going to yet talk about what happened afterwards. We are right there. And I want to remind you how we got to where we are, okay? The nation of Israel was in slavery, in Egypt, and Pharaoh was harsh, and the Egyptians considered the Israelites their property. 
They were just a machine to get things done, and they labored hard in the arid heat of North Africa. And they were poor. When they labored, they would punch the clock, but Egypt accepted the paycheck, right? They had nothing, and to add insult to injury, their main task was to build store cities to house the wealth of Egypt, So these poor people go build cities full of warehouses to store treasures for the nation that is enslaving them. Okay, this is bad. Things are not going well for them, right? And there's really only one thing the nation of Israel has going for them in their slavery, and that is that God made them a promise. Right? God promised their great, 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 great something grandfather, Abraham, that he would get to live, he and his descendants, in Israel, the area kind of along the eastern Mediterranean. Um, they'd get to live there one day and possess it, and they wouldn't be slaves anymore. And so God made Israel a promise, but they're now in Egypt in captivity. All right? God raised up Moses to keep his promise. Moses was a leader and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, not going to do that. Moses said, you better or things are going to get ugly, right? And Pharaoh stands his ground. And so Moses gets upset. God sends nine plagues to Pharaoh. He says, He turns the Nile River to blood, then there's frogs, swarms of gnats, and then flies, then all the livestock in the land dies, then people get boils, then hail ravages the land, then there are locusts, and the sky goes dark. And after each plague, Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go, refuses to let them enter the promised land to fulfill this promise that God had made to his people. And so God says, there's going to be a tenth and final plague. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's called the Passover. And here's what God said would happen. Exodus 11, verses 4 through 6. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will ever be again. In the final plague, the firstborn in all of Egypt dies. White collar, blue collar, famous, unknown, human, cattle, none of that matters. The firstborn will die. Now, if you're a discerning person, this is challenging. It's difficult. You might ask the question, How could God, if he is good, send a plague of death even on his worst enemies? How could God do that? It's a legit question, okay? Um, 
I used to have a recurring dream. Have you ever had one of those, a recurring dream? They're weird because it's the same dream over and over, sometimes night after night, sometimes several months apart. I've had several in my life. I don't know what any of them mean, but I'm going to tell you about one, okay? Um, in one dream that I had when I was in middle school and early high school, uh, I was in my school gym, okay? And it was a packed house. I went to this tiny little high school um, there are bleachers on either side of the gym. It's packed house, and there's some sort of thing going on down on the court, basketball, volleyball, I don't know. Um, but I was in the stands, and I was watching, and all of a sudden, um, this guy starts, like, harassing me. Like, there's just all these people around, and this one guy starts heckling me. I'm a little scrawny kid, and this grown man starts heckling me. And at first, it starts out kind of tame. It's just embarrassing, kind of annoying. And then uh, it keeps escalating, and it's getting kind of aggressive, and I start feeling nervous about it, right? He's, somehow he knows, you're in middle school. It's weird, you know? Like, what? You're you don't know what's going on. You do stupid things that you don't want other people to know about. And somehow he knows all of them. He starts telling everybody and I'm getting embarrassed and it's awkward. And so I want to leave, right? But the crowd is packed. And so it's slow going and it's hard. And the further I try to get away from him, the more intense this escalation gets. And it starts getting kind of aggressive. And I feel like he might get violent. And so I'm working my way out of here, getting more and more nervous as the dream goes on. And then eventually I get down to the ground uh, so I can make my way out to the door. And I turn around and this guy's following me. He steps onto the ground and I feel like he's going to get violent. Like he's actually going to attack me. The harassment is turning physical. And I turn around and I'm this little middle school kid. He's a grown man. And I'm terrified. What's going to happen and then all of a sudden, no joke, my dad steps out of the stands, winds up, and just decks the guy. <laughs> Boom. One punch, lights out on the ground, and then I woke up, right? End of dream, end of story. Now, uh, that's weird, okay? I may need to see a psychologist sometime. If anybody knows what that means, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, but I want to ask you a question. When I woke up from that dream, what do you think I thought about my dad? I can tell you what I didn't think about him. I didn't think, man, I'm really upset that he assaulted a guy, right? I didn't think, huh, my dad is unreasonably violent. I'm not sure if I want to be his son anymore, right? That would be crazy because a good father does not sit back and watch his son get assaulted, a good dad steps in, steps out of the crowd, winds up, and defends his son. Amen. Right? That is what a good father does. And so we can ask the question, how could a good God send a death plague even on his worst enemies? And to answer that question, I want to look at the Bible. Let's look at Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God talking through Moses. Then Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. 
Do you remember what Pharaoh had done to Israel? This slavery of the Israel, uh, the nation of Israel to the nation of Egypt, it wasn't just hard labor. A lot of Babies and a lot of hard work had made Israel a nation of strong men and lots of them. And the nation of Egypt was feeling like Israel is getting too strong, too big. They're going to be a threat. And Pharaoh ruthlessly says, I will end it. And he tells the people of Israel, when you have a baby, if it's a boy, you will throw that baby into the Nile River and watch him drown. No more male babies in this nation. And he enacted a death plague on Israel that killed God's firstborn son. And a good father does not sit back and watch his son drown. A good father uses his strength to defend his family. And so in great patience, our good God sent nine warnings to Pharaoh. Nine times, Pharaoh, I mean it. You will stop oppressing my family or I will throw the knockout punch. Are you ready for that? And nine times, Pharaoh says, do your best, God. I can handle gnats. I can handle locusts. Do your best. And he stays in one of the greatest acts of rebellion in the history of the world. After nine displays of God's power and strength, Pharaoh hardens his heart and says, no, I'm going to keep your people enslaved and I'm going to keep killing them. Man, I got way ahead of myself. Um, Here's what I want you to know. God defended his family in the book of Exodus. He was ready to step out of the stands, fists clenched, and throw a knockout punch. That's who our God is. He's a good father. He's a defending father. That's who he was in Exodus, and that's who he is today. And we need to remind ourselves that that's true about God. Because the stories that we tell about God, the memories that we have about God, they shape us and they form us. And so the culture is going to tell us, hey, you're a Christian. They're going to challenge us on this. Oh, Christian, have you actually read the Old Testament? Do you know who your God is? He is violent and he's bloodthirsty, and he's prejudiced, and he randomly kills all kinds of people for no reason at all. He's not good. Why would you serve a God who does that? And they're convincing, and they'll tell stories about God that twist his character, and they tell the world. And Christian, I'm here today to tell you, if you're not telling yourselves true stories, you're going to believe those false stories. And so we need to remind ourselves that our father is a good father who doesn't sit in the stands. Is sin tracking you? 
Do you feel like it's following you through the stands? And the more you try to get away, the closer it gets to you. Are you trying to escape? And you say, you know what? If God's not good, I need to defend myself. And I don't know how. Because the more I defend, the worse things get. It just overtakes me. I can't do it. I feel like a little junior high kid with no strength. And sin is this grown man that just tracks me and harasses me and is ready to assault me. Is that you? Do you feel that? That death plague that Pharaoh enacted on Israel was tracking us today. It's no different. It's just called sin. And it's ready to kill you. The wages of sin is death. And our good father does not sit in the stands. He does not watch that happen. He's ready, fist clenched, to step out and throw the knockout punch. That's who our God is. He's a good father. Okay? So we look at the plague on Egypt, this death plague. And now I want to look at the Passover for Israel. God is a, a, is a protector, defender, God, and he is ready to protect his kids. And so there's a Passover. Okay? Um, we just uh, talked about this. Uh, passage in scripture where God tells Moses, hey, go talk to Pharaoh. Um, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, this is going to get bad. If you don't let us go, your for- firstborn are going to die. And Pharaoh says, whatever, dude. And so Moses storms out of Pharaoh's presence. Okay. He heads right to the people of Israel and says, God is serious. We need to prepare. Okay, so let's look at scripture. Um, This is what it says. What Moses told the people of Israel to do. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So God is going to move. He's going to do what he promised to do. And he says, Israel, you need to prepare. And here's how you need to prepare. Every family needs to go find a lamb. Okay, not just any lamb. This needs to be a male lamb, a year old, and it needs to be spotless, perfect, blameless, okay? And you need to bring that lamb into your house from the 10th day to the 14th day. For four days, this lamb is going to live in your house. Now remember, this people is multiplying. They're good at procreating. There are a lot of families here. So this lamb that comes into the house, there are kids in that house, If you have kids and you bring home a new pet, what happens? If I brought home a new lamb first, my kids are going to scream in fear because it's big and they have only seen a lamb, maybe at a petting zoo. But after the first 10 minutes, when they realize they don't bite, right, or sting, they're going to start petting the wool. They're going to start hearing it, bah, right, and lean against them. They're going to know that it's warm and it's gentle. And my kids are going to fall in love with that lamb. And for four days, that lamb becomes part of the family. And at the end of the four days, the lamb that they loved had to die. The one they loved died so that they could live. 
okay? Every family, go get a lamb, bring it into your household, and keep it for four days. Then at twilight, on the fourth day, we have to sacrifice. Um, We go on. Then, Exodus 12, um, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this lamb that they loved would be killed. They would collect some of the blood, and they would spread it over the door of their house. The place where everybody enters into that household would be covered top and sides with the blood of the lamb, and that blood would be a sign that the people inside were God's people. Now, I want you to notice something here. The death plague did not distinguish Egyptian from Israelite based on their bloodline. The death plague did not take a sample and say, are you in the lineage of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob? Are you part of the 12 tribes? There was none of that. It was not based on History, it, the people of God were marked by the blood of another, by a sacrificial lamb. Okay, so they'd spread that blood over the doorpost, the blood of somebody else, and then they would prepare a meal. And the meat from that lamb would be the main course of the last meal they would ever eat in Egypt. Okay, and they would prepare it, and it wouldn't just be meat. They'd make bread, and the bread was supposed to be unleavened, and that just means uh, it's not going to rise. And why would they do that? Because when God set them free, it wouldn't be a slow, gradual transition. Okay, he said, you need to eat it in haste, because when I set you free, you will go. And so they couldn't wait for the bread to rise, so they made unleavened bread, they ate it with the roasted lamb, and they ate it with their belt on, their sandals strapped, and their walking stick in hand. This is not a normal meal, okay? The lamb that they loved provided the blood that would mark them and the meal that would sustain them through a freedom march to the promised land, okay? They needed the sacrificial lamb. Can you imagine what this must have been like for them? Can you imagine being a people that knew nothing but slavery, that knew nothing but oppression? And now Moses, this great leader, is saying, God will set you free nine times. God had sent warnings. I am going to do this. And through those, he proved his power. He voiced his plan. And Pharaoh said no. And this time Moses says, it's all going to be different, guys. 
This time, the plague will break Pharaoh. It's all going to change for you. You need to prepare for a new life of freedom ahead. These people were going to be set free in ways they'd only dreamed about but never known. They were preparing for a life that they could only see in their dreams, never known in reality. They were getting ready to live under a ruler who was for them, not against them. A king who would give to them and bless them, not take from them and demand from them to ride on their backs. No, their new king would sustain them on his back. Can you imagine the hope and excitement mixed with probably fear and wonder and awe that that meal must have held? It'd be incredible. The Passover meal was a new thing. No one in the history of the world had experienced the power of God like they were about to experience it. And they were faithful. And they did what God said. And we're not even to the best part yet. uh, Because here's the best part. God was faithful. God did what he said he would do. That death plague came. And the Israelites were passed over. Let's look at the Bible, Exodus 12, verses 29 through 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians... And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The 10th plague was the knockout punch. In the middle of the night, the oppressor felt the weight of his oppression. The firstborn died. All of Egypt cried out. Not a single house in the land was left unaffected except the people of Israel who hid behind the blood of the lamb. And when this all happened, Pharaoh didn't just let the people go. He demanded that they leave. Let's keep reading. Uh, I want to tell a lot of the story straight from the Bible um, because God tells us to. Okay, we'll get there in a minute. But let's, let's read a little more. Exodus 12, verses 20, uh, 33 through 38. This is just a selection. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people excuse me, took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot. Uh, Besides men, excuse me, besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Listen, freedom was granted overnight. About 600,000 men plus all the women and children and flocks and herds. Now listen, the Omaha metro area where most of us live just passed 900,000 total people, okay? That means 
Israel was larger than the whole Omaha metro. So picture what's happening here. Overnight, 600,000 men plus probably that many women and all their children. And if it's like us, a third of us are kids. And so 600,000 men, maybe 600,000 women, maybe 600,000 children plus all of their cattle and flocks, they all get up on foot and leave. This is not a little deal. This is not called an exit. It's called an exodus, right? That would shut down traffic on I-80 if we all got up and started walking out of Omaha, right? This is a big deal. God set a nation free overnight. He made good on his promise. The knockout punch was complete on the ground, laid out, the nation of Israel set free the exit door on the other side of the gym and they walked through it, all of them, right? This is a big deal. I said earlier that this story marked God's family and he intended it to be that way. He wanted it to be that way. In fact, he commands right here that when they... uh, As they prepare the Passover meal, they're to remember how they did it. Because every year from now on, they're supposed to make that again. The roasted lamb, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, the whole deal. They're supposed to do it again every year. Why? To remember what God had done. And he said, one day you're going to live in a different land. It's going to be a long time, far removed from today when I set you free. And you're going to do this and your kids are going to ask, Dad, why do we have to eat unleavened bread today? It's denser. It's harder to swallow, right? I like the airy, soft bread that we usually eat. Why do we do this? Your kids are going to ask you, what is this about? And in Scripture, God told parents how to respond to their kids. Uh, He says, you will say... uh, This is Exodus 12, verse 27. It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And again, later on in chapter 13, same question. How do you respond? Say this. By a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. In short, Dad, why do we do this? What are we talk- What's this about? You say, the Lord spared us and set us free. Our Defender, Father, God spared us from the death plague and set us free. We tell that story. Look, you know where I'm going. This isn't a this isn't a trick. This is a thinly veiled foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all people for all time who would be believe in Him. Okay, let me pause here, parents. Can I invite all of us as parents? to teach our kids about God. Can we do that? This in Exodus, God sets up through the Passover an object lesson that we can use to show our kids who God is and what he's done. 
Can we do that as parents, especially on this day where we dedicate our kids to the Lord, that they would know and serve and follow him? Track with me for a moment. The best way to tell your kids about Jesus is not sending them to City Light Kids or City Light Club, okay? I love City Light Kids and City Light Club. The volunteers there work really hard and prepare really well to put Jesus on display and magnify him and worship him with and for your kids so that they'll know about him. I'm not knocking those two things. It's just not the best way for your kids to learn about God. Track me. The best way for your kids to know who God is, to know what kind of God is, is to sit down around the dinner table and hear mom and dad tell a story about how Jesus was faithful to them. The best way for your kids to know who God is is to go for a walk with grandpa or grandma and hear a story about how God's been faithful for a lifetime. The best way for your kids to know who God is, is to snuggle before bedtime and hear their mommy pray over them for their present and their future. The best way for your kids to know about Jesus is to foster an environment where they can ask questions. Why do we do this? Why would we serve this God? And for mommy and daddy to know the stories and exalt God in the household and praise him as a family. The best way for your kids to know God is for you to worship him in your house. That's what God set up with the Passover. It did not happen in a temple or a tabernacle. It did not happen with Moses standing before a crowd. It happened with moms and dads preparing a meal and eating together, preparing them for what God would do. City Light, would we be full of kids who hear and see their God in their homes? Can we be that kind of people? Okay, so there was a plague on Egypt. There was a Passover for Israel. And I just want to end with this. I've danced around it all morning. There is provision for us, okay? This whole thing is so cool because it's a story that God set up so that the people of Israel would tell their families and the world about him. And it was a picture of what we would get to do when we get to tell our families and our world about Jesus, okay? So track with me. Paul calls Jesus in the New Testament. Um, The apostle Paul, great missionary, church planting leader, he calls Jesus our Passover lamb. Why would he do that? The death plague did not stop. Pharaoh killed the people, the children of Israel, by casting them into the Nile. God responded with that oppressor bearing the weight of his own oppression, and all the firstborn in Egypt died overnight at midnight. When the people of Israel were set free, our good father God watched his people transition from physical slavery in Egypt to a spiritual slavery to sin. And our good defender father God would not sit in the stands and let his people be oppressed. And so he sent a 
he provided a Passover lamb for us uh, to defeat the sin that was killing us. I want to ask you again, does sin track you? Can you feel the weight of it? The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Do you feel the weight of that? I just feel like sometimes sin uh, is, is like a dude in a big crowd. And when life feels crowded and you've got work and you've got family and you've got the Hawkeyes that are losing and the Cyclones that almost pulled off an upset and the Huskers are doing good in spite of it all. And I, you know, it's just life is busy and your mind is crowded and sin keeps coming up. And when you hear it heckling you, you say, I just want to get away, but life is crowded. And so it's slow going. And the further you get away, you feel like it just tracks you. And I don't know what that sin looks like for you. Uh, Maybe it's at work. Right? You go to work every day and you collect a paycheck that says you worked 40 hours or 60 hours or whatever you do. But when you're at work, I know when I was at work, uh, there were a lot of people, including me sometimes, that would spend hours talking, not working. And when I accept that paycheck, I'm saying to my employer, I worked 40 hours this week, but really, I worked 36. And I'm stealing because I'm not being honest about what I've done. And it seems like nothing in the moment, but it's sin. And when you think about it, you want to get away, you want to change things, but the crowd is heavy and you're walking through. And you think there are other ones, right? It may not be with your body that you sin, but maybe it's one of those things that with your eyes or your mind, You can't get away from it. Maybe you're not the one that gossips all the time, but when you hear it from other people, you love to listen in, and you let that take over your heart. You feel like there's sin, even if it's not explicit, the really bad stuff. Do you feel like there's sin in your heart that you just can't get away from? And sometimes at night, it just heckles you, and you want to get away. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and it will kill God's people. And our good defender God says, I won't stand for it. I'm not going to leave my kids to fight through the crowd on their own, to figure it out on their own, to cower in fear of the power of sin in their lives on their own. And so he sent a Passover lamb, Jesus, just like the lamb was with the people of Israel for a few days, a short time, and then had to die. Jesus was with us for a short time and had to die. Just like the Passover lamb was spotless and without blemish, Jesus was sinless and without blemish. And he died and his blood was poured out. And just like the Passover lamb whose blood marked the doors, the entrance to the house of God's people, the blood of Jesus marks the hearts, the entrance to the soul of God's people. The knockout punch has been delivered. Do you need freedom from sin? Are you looking for that? The knockout punch has been delivered and the freedom that God offered to the people of Israel, he offers to us today, but it's better. Because Jesus isn't just a lamb and we don't just get to go to Israel on the Mediterranean, which I hear is beautiful when it's not getting ransacked, right, by war. We don't just get to go there We get to go to our good defender daddy's home. In my dream, my dad knocked out the guy, and then I woke up. Freedom wasn't just this guy not pursuing me anymore. Freedom was waking up and realizing my dad lives just down the hall. 
He is here for me. He wants me with him. That is a story worth telling our kids. That's a story worth telling the world. We serve a good God who is a defending father. Let's worship him in our world, in our homes, and in our hearts.